Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Matt Tallarico. Matt is currently the base running coordinator and minor league hitting coach for the New York Yankees. In this episode, we go over Matt's background, how he instituted a, a juggernaut base running system into Wright State University's program and before that, the University of Dayton. Um, we get into a little bit of, of techniques of base running, and Matt gives some great tips for coaches who are going to be listening on how to help out their players from a base running standpoint. If you enjoy this show and you uh, find some value in the content, either in this episode or previous episodes, make sure to go onto iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any further episodes. Rate and leave a fi- leave a review. Um, that helps out the overall rating of the show and helps more coaches and players alike um, be able to find the show and all the awesome guests we've been able to have on. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is Matt Tallarico. All right, we are now live with Matt Tallarico, who is the base running coordinator, and he is also a hitting coach in the New York Yankees organization. Matt, thanks for coming on today, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate so I don't, it. I don't actually know if you know this. Uh, we were, we had, we were just talking off the air, but uh, you, you used to coach at Wright State in Dayton, and I used to play at Xavier. And I'll never forget when our coaches said, "Like, hey, we're going to implement this new base running stuff, this new stealing stuff." And I remember them throwing it out to us when I remember just thinking like, what in the world is this stuff? And I didn't, now I know it's, this was from you, but back then I was a 21 year old kid. And I was like, I've never seen this stuff in my life. Um, so, you know, you started local, but then you now everyone across the nation knows, knows about you, but um, maybe just give everyone a little bit of a quick snapshot of, of your background. Well, first, what, do you remember what year that was? 2000, uh, was it? 12 or 13 okay okay so we had so who would have been your coaches obviously Googs. uh billy it was billy billy o'connor i think was the one who implemented it yeah yeah so i could be wrong billy could definitely correct me on this it's been a little while since i've talked to billy obviously i I know know him pretty not really well but for recruiting uh another recruiting person we know each other pretty well um I had a player that I think played for him in the summer. Robbie Sunderman. Robbie Sunderman. Robbie Sunderman. Yeah. Yeah. Robbie, one of my uh, favorite players. Really, really uh, smart, smart kid. Actually, I think he's an eye doctor now. I mean, he's getting married. Uh, a really smart kid. Um, and I think he played for him one summer. Robbie might be the best I've ever had pound for pound at doing this. Now, I can't say it anymore after last year, after – um, we had one kid who was like exceptional, but Robbie wasn't a very fast guy. And he made me really rethink um, some concepts. I guess it would be kind of hard to explain, but like timing. I can actually, I can pull up videos showing him, but like he was really able to buy time better than anybody. And he was really, he inspired me to think that that was uh, something you could teach. Um, like he, I guess the easiest way to explain it, he seemed to always know when the pitcher was going home. And you would – that's a really hard thing to explain, but I swear he did. So it, like, really made me watch his videos, um, and we started trying to copy some of his 
his things, which you would think we would copy like the best guy on the team, the guy that might sell 35 or something like that. But we were, we were copying a guy that was just consistent every year, see like 15 to 20 and um, just really had a good feel of time. So, yeah. So I think he played for Billy one summer and he probably shared with some of his players. Cause I know then you play Xavier and I'm drawing blanks on the names. If you said him, I probably know it, but uh, you like LaRue, was there a LaRue? Yeah, 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 there was, there was. Yeah, that uh, would do that, uh, do it against us, and he actually had good feel at doing it. You know, a lot, there are some teams we play that they technically move around a lot, but it's not in a safe way, and he was one of the guys that was like, ah, don't let this guy on. So it's pretty cool. I mean, that's a – I always like playing other teams and seeing it just because I think it's a good part of the game. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, my background, I'm, I'm from Indiana. Um, I grew up, my, my mom and dad always very supportive. My mom was very supportive of me being creative, I guess, looking back my whole life, um, which I think definitely comes into play a ton now. Um, and my dad was very much like, he, he played, he was a football player in high school, played a little bit, maybe like not even a full year in college and came back home. But football background, his dad was a football player. And then when I was, growing up I loved baseball for some reason so he was really worked with me well from that standpoint I think you know I work with some young kids still and you see dads and I see a good mix of dads guys that have pretty good feel and guys that don't my dad had great feel he had great feel to understand that he might not be an expert here and he wasn't going to try to be so he really emphasized playing the game hard running hard working hard um, versus I don't know if he ever uh, messed with my swing. I don't know if he ever told me how to field a ground ball, but um, really did. Uh, I'm very lucky that uh, that's where he put his concentration. So uh, I, I grew up in Indiana. I went to a small college. I went to Manchester College and University now where I played for Rick Espeset, Derek Woodley. And like I always say, this the guy's trying to make a decision. I go someplace that fits and that place fit me really well. I didn't know, like I've been around like, really good coaches now I used to say that um, a lot but now looking back like some in my opinion some of the best college coaches um, I've been able to work with and now um, some of the best pro coaches and I still think the two guys uh, Woodley coach Woodley um, and Derek Woodley and uh, Rick Espeset could coach anywhere like and I was just lucky enough to play for them at a school that's really small but then I coached a year two years at Heidelberg I coached a year at Toledo, and I coached five years at Dayton and four years at Wright State. So that's kind of the rundown of where I come from as far as my coaching career. Just a follow-up, what what made uh, – you just mentioned Coach Woodley there. Like, what made him – you said he, you feel like he could coach anywhere. Like, what, what yeah. made him so good? Well, man, I, I try to – I talk about him whenever I talk. Like, if you've heard me talk before, you've heard his name. Him and Mike Roberts, every time I talk, um, and Coach Woodley, uh, for me, number one, and is is a very cliche. Like, um, but he cared. Like, he cared from number one. I think uh, whether intentional or unintentional, his method when he first met me was he got to know me a little bit. You know, from a personal side, he got to know me, and um, we spent a lot of time in the cage. I, I can remember numerous nights, like practice is over. I'd ask him to stay after and hit. I know he didn't want to stay after. He stayed after every time. 
Um, he was, I think his job then, like, I think he got free meals at the cafeteria, if I remember right. So we'd be picking up balls and I'd see them locking up the cafeteria. And it didn't hit me until like my senior year, like late, like, oh, he hasn't been eating. Like he doesn't eat for free. And he, he would never say anything. Um, and I, he probably didn't need it, but I know that's where he would go. He would eat there. So like, number one, he cared, but I can remember just the effort he put in every day. Like he is a baseball guy through and through. Um, he showed me and my, my good buddy, um, that I played with, I played second, he played first. I remember we were going to coach a high school team between college and my first job at uh, Heidelberg, like a travel team. And we're all excited. We got the job. Right. And, uh, he said, well, if you guys ever want anything, I come by the office. And that was the first time I realized like how much work he had been putting into what we see, you know, we see a three hour window a day. And he was just like, back there, it was like written files. Like he'd pull out practice plans and the thought that he was putting in before just throwing it up on the wall was very inspiring. And I can remember just, you know, just saying like, I, I want the relationship that we had with my players, you know, and it wasn't like, it wasn't we were best buddies, like, hanging out at the bar or anything. It was, like, very much, um, you know, he could get on me when I wasn't doing what I should, and hopefully that wasn't happening much. But, um, you know, I, I just – I just I was really lucky. No, that's pretty cool. Um, that's, and that's – I'm glad you brought up the point about how even though, like, um, you, even as a player you see, the, you know, the practice schedule or whatnot, but you don't always know, like, how much time was put into making that practice schedule. So – that's uh, pretty neat that, that, you know, you saw kind of firsthand how much time that really took um, with him. Now, you're, you're the base running coordinator now with the Yankees, but you're also a hitting coach. Yeah. What, I mean, which one do you like better? Um, oh, that's a, that's a tough question. I feel lucky. Um, oh, man, I'm going to be a politician here and go, like, right down the middle here. I think I work for, like, maybe the best hitting guy in the world, maybe. I don't know. Definitely. You could argue that, but like, I, I feel like, um, Dylan Lawson's like really, really good. And he like hired a really, really good staff. So like, I hate missing and being out of that room. So we could have like a random meeting and I have to do something with base running. And I feel like, like that, like fear of missing out or whatever. Um, so like, I really do like that. Um, I think we can change things base running. I get excited about changing baseball. You know, I get excited about, you know, looking and trying to bring something back, you know, but I think doing it in, in ways that are creative and doing it in ways that are definitely attainable. Uh, so I like the challenge of trying to get to people to see the game kind of the way I see it. Um, so it's like equal. I like the challenge of that. And I like the challenge of, or the opportunity of being around really good hitting people, you know, I love it all. I love infield too, man. I, like I miss, I miss doing that. And I think, you know, just from being, you know, your experiences in college, like in college, when you coach, you coach a lot. Like you might have a year where you're doing something else. So like when, I, when pro jobs came around, that was a big deal to me. Like, okay, you want me to base running and like, what else can I do? What, okay. Well, what else could I do? So it's like, you're always, looking for that because you work so hard in college to get an opportunity to show that like I could handle this responsibility. And then when you get it, like you don't want to give that up. So I miss infield too, man. But I would say like, it's, it's kind of a tie. You put a lot of work into it and 
you learn a lot about it and then you want to use it. So does it uh, ever irk you that you're just solely known as like the base running guru and not a hitting guy too? Well, I didn't know until right now. I was solely known as that. Thank you. <laughs> no, I don't care. I can remember it's funny. Um, maybe my, so in 2012, it would have been the year before you were saying that we led the nation and stolen bases at Dayton from a yeah, team that maybe yep. we stole like 50 bags before 2011. Then we stole like 107 and 156. And somebody told me that after I was speaking, like, do you ever worry that you're going to be like just known as a base running guy? And I can remember thinking like, yeah, I probably should avoid that. And then, and then like, I don't know. I think seeing what an aggressive base running team can do, that feeling of when, um, when a, you know, a Sunderman type guy got on or a guy that was going to steal a ton, that pressure when you're in the other dugout, um, I think helps hitting a lot. So I would argue they go together a lot. And if that's how people know me, I'm, I'm fine with that, man. I, I, I love doing it. Um, but I, no, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, actually, I had a uh, Todd Williams on last week, who uh, is at the University of Kentucky, and he's their volunteer. Even though he's not really, you know, he's been around for so long, and and yeah. we were talking about hitting, and he was like, "Dude, like hitting's just one sixth of offense. Like we spend a ton of time on base running, and he mm-hmm. has his own book as well. So I, I definitely agree with you in the fact that base running is a huge component of scoring runs. You know, not just hitting." And where we are in the business of scoring as many runs as, as, as we possibly can. Now, when, yeah. when did the fascination start or of base running? Because I mean, there, was there something that happened where you started yeah. to go down rabbit holes? Yeah, I can remember vividly, you know, you, you know, when like, if you're working a camp, I was working a Notre Dame camp. So when I grew up in Indiana, Notre Dame is and now I work in Ohio. So it's probably like Ohio state for kids in Ohio. Notre Dame was that maybe it was IU for some or Purdue for some, but for me, it was Notre Dame. And I can remember when I was coaching the opportunity to work at camp and make like 180 bucks or something was like, I would have done it for free or I would have paid to do it. And I was, I was doing this stuff. And I can remember it was one of those days where it's like, we needed to buy like 40 more minutes. And, um, um, I can remember, a coach there talking about some interesting things. And we're just a little outside the box, nothing crazy. Like, Hey, maybe the fast guys do this. Well, the medium guys do this and the slow guys do this. Right. It was Graham Sykes. Who's a assistant at Michigan state now. Um, and I can remember just talking to him about it because what happened before that. So we're going to go back a little bit is uh, the year before we had a center fielder who wouldn't run. He was really fast, but he wouldn't run. And um, nobody was really working with base runners. So I can remember asking the head coach, like, Hey, would you, would, would you care if maybe I did some stuff with him?" And he didn't care, but I didn't have an answer to him. So going back, even before that, we're going back to the cage with coach Woodley. I remember picking up balls one day and we were talking about coaching and he said, uh, in coaching, typically you're not very good at coaching things you were really good at. So I imagine I was probably like struggling hitting that day and he was like trying to, <laughs> trying to lift me up. And uh, that stuck because from, from like, I'm probably in high school or even like little league, I, I, I always ran, I always bunt, I bunted. Like I could never remember being taught any of those things. So even like in college, um, I was a guy that was part of my game. So now I'm coaching and I'm trying to work with these guys and I'm thinking about this and I'm like, well, I just probably won't be very good at coaching this because I don't know what made me be able to do it at whatever level I was playing. So um, 
you know, uh, going back to that Notre Dame camp, I can remember hearing him think about it. And that was the first time I was like, maybe I'm thinking along, along the wrong lines. You know, I'm trying to get the perfect stance and fix a fraction of a second, a fraction of a second. And maybe I could fix more of that. So I can remember sending an email. He sent me an email back. We're talking maybe like a half a page and I saved it. You know, I saved, it was probably around here somewhere. And, um, and then not long, so then I started trying some different things. And not long after I met Mike Roberts for the first time, um, I called him. We talked on the phone for like an hour and a half. He had no idea who I was. Um, so that grew a ton. Like that grew a ton. Like he was as far out of, out of the box as I needed, right? That's what I needed. So then I, the next year, I already got permission to work with the base runners. I don't know if he knew that we were going to go this far outside the box, but he gave me the okay and I wasn't going to ask again. So I show up, I take the center fielder and I take the second baseman. The second baseman was not fast. I just needed somebody that would run through a wall for me. And that was that kid. Like we, we worked a lot in the infield. He was appreciative of the, the everyday work. And I knew if I said, do this, stand on your head and do this, he would say, okay. I, and the other guy wasn't necessarily that guy. So I just needed him there. The problem was he ran like a seven, six. He wasn't going to be able to steal. We start working every day. I can remember shoveling the snow on the new turf football field and just making one, one little like 10 foot lane where they could kind of work on returns. We were trying everything. We were really getting a lot of our work during like first and third defense where we let them kind of steal off the pitcher who wasn't even going to pick. Um, we were just trying some small things. I'll never forget the first time uh, a runner got on base that year was the slow guy, not the fast guy. And I was like, oh, no. Like, my heart just started going. Like, <laughs> and he gets the biggest jump. He's almost standing on second, and the hitter fouls it off. He goes back and does it again, does it again, does it again, and finally gets another jump and steals. And I'm thinking, okay, well, one for one. And that's how the whole year was, just like hanging on. The, the fast kid ended up stealing like eight or nine bases, same as he always stole. The slow guy stole like 19. And that was really the aha moment. The longest story ever to tell you the aha moment was then. Like, I think we could teach this to everybody. Now I have to get more efficient at teaching it because it didn't click with that guy. So each year it was trying to get more guys to join. And I think base running, uh, base stealing, when it clicks, you have it forever. And getting one more guy on the side of base dealers is huge. So if in nine guys starting, if you have two guys that are threats on the bases right now and you can just pull one more, that's huge. That's huge. So like in our good years, I bet you we had six, five or six guys that were real threats to steal and some okay guys, maybe one bad guy, right? So that's a very overwhelming feeling where it's like, I got to be quick to the plate, even though I don't want to be, I've got to mix pickoffs, even though I don't want to. These guys can hit, so I have to hit my spot. Like, that's a lot to worry about. So that's the aha moment. Yeah, and I think you brought up a great point there as well when you, you said, you know, the, the pitchers are, are not just – it's not just about stealing bases. It's also you're creating pressure on the pitcher too because he has to worry yeah. about, you know, in terms of picking off and then, you know, sidestepping versus picking up his leg. Is, is, do you, have you found that – for the players who aren't as good at it or grasp it as much that they're, they have certain times or they're significantly slower or is it just some guys can get it and some guys can't? Before I start this, UPS just pulled up and my dogs, I can just feel them getting ready to bark. So I'm going to apologize beforehand if you hear the dogs go crazy in about two seconds. Okay. Um, 
I think it's more of like a feel thing. Like we were talking about the Sunderman kid um, earlier, like he just had really good feel. So now it becomes, okay, well, how do you teach feel? And then I think it comes very much like a skill development thing. Like you, you need to do slow drills. You need to do intense drills and you need to cover all those spaces between. Some people need to live more in the intense drills. Some people need more in the slow drills until they're ready to be, do the intense things. And that's, that's really what makes you figure this out. It's like, can we teach them what they need to do to, to move safely and not get picked off? Can we teach them what pitchers are looking for? Can we teach them that stuff? And then we can we put them in a game environment? Then we, can we put them a little harder than a game environment and go up and down that scale based on what they need? So um, a lot of times um, you'll think – I always teach it to the whole team like or the whole organization. And then let us determine later who can't do it. Like nobody, I'm not good enough. Nobody's good enough, I think, to look at a guy and say, well, you probably can't do it, you know, because I've been wrong, I've, you know, numerous times where – we're not talking stealing 60 bags. We're talking going six for six instead of going zero for your last like four years. I mean, you know, with pro Bowl, look at stats. Like you, you'll get guys that haven't attempted a base in three or four seasons. Um, you mean to tell me there aren't some layups in there somewhere. So it's, it's creating kind of roles for guys. Um, but it's hard to detect like this guy's going to be good. And this guy's not my best guy ever took like a year and a half. And then it wow. clicked. I've, I've had really good guys pick it up right away and I've had guys that you just stay with it. That's why you don't, but you don't have to, uh, you don't have to go make bad outs. You know, I think that's a uh, misconception It's like, okay, well he can't do it. That means he's got to go get picked off a bunch and thrown out. No, he just has to, you got to build up his confidence. Again, that skill acquisition, um, those concepts, concepts of being put them in the right training environment in handling their confidence levels. At the end of the day, you're only going to be able to steal out if you're confident and you believe. So that requires you, you'd have the ability to go right and go left. That means we have to be able to get back and feel comfortable that we can get back. We have to have the ability that when we take off, we know we're going to be safe. So taking all those things in consideration, I think uh, just everybody's different and you, you gotta, you gotta approach it like that. Just like you would hitting. I mean, I've always said this, like the problem with base running is you get you guys get picked off twice in a game at Xavier and Googs doesn't do this, but let's pretend Googs does this, brings you up and he says, like, we've got to stop getting picked off. That killed us, right? And then the next time you're on base, you try it again, right? It hitting, if you're struggling, we go in the batting cage and we work on it and we figure some stuff out so that next time you get a, you know, and I think shifting the mindset to this can be developed, you know, that's it, just like anything else. I think I've heard you say this before, maybe if it's not you, maybe it was someone else, but uh, you recommended that instead of waiting to the very end of practice to do the base yeah. running, to do it at the beginning, which I, I, if that was, I'm pretty sure that was you. I, I love yeah. that idea um, just because otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to have, the guys are already tired. They've already gotten a chance to hit. So they may be kind of like just motioning through, just going through the motions instead of really focusing on, um, you know, what you're trying to implement. Have you found that to be successful at a bunch of different levels? Yeah, it's, um, I forget where I first started doing it. Now a lot of, a lot of teams do it, which is cool to see. Um, I, I think going back to college, we had a, we had a routine, 
which was very helpful. Like I could probably name still today what's going on at practice um, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, right? Depending on what we're doing. And every day we ended practice with batting practice, if not every day, close to every day. So if at any point batting practice was over and the coach said, even if it's on the schedule, because you're used to it, batting practice, practice over, mentally you shut down. And he says, oh, yeah, we have to do whatever. By the way, practice is over. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Mentally, practice is over. So I'm there going through the motions, but practice is over. So uh, shifting that around and saying, okay, do it as part of our routine. Put it in the routine as something that's built up. Um, you're getting warmed up anyway, so let's go from our dynamic warm-up to base running, base stealing, and then make it part of our routine. Then we never miss it you get really good at it. So it's very efficient. So instead of, okay, great. We got 30 minutes of base running to start. It's like you stretch for 15 base running for 15, you start your practice and then they can still shut down mentally after their last drill. But keeping that flow, I think is really, really important. Um, guys expect, um, expect the routine to keep going. And again, like it, this is not just training them to run faster. Again, I'm not after helping them improve by like milliseconds i'm helping i'm trying to help them get big improvements like if we get uh good reads on guys we should get big jumps you should know in your first two steps i'm going to be safe um those are instincts and feelings which need to be hit often you don't get if you if you're at second and you're working on like second to home reads and you're trying to read line drives over the infielder's head and you get that done then take two months off you're gonna to have to start over uh to get those instincts again so we're talking about developing instincts which takes getting hit all the time so when it's put at the beginning of practice we don't miss it now that's not to say we did it every single day for the last four years at Wright state but man it could maybe five times we didn't have base base stealing right after stretching uh, even if we i can remember getting ready at the louisville regional in 2016 we didn't have the field to stretch so we were in the bullpen we did all the stretch in the bullpen and then just like a miniature uh, thing where we just pulled out like to make sure we got our stuff in. If you ever see, if you'd ever watch us play a Friday, Saturday, Sunday game, we'd go down to Clemson on Thursday night. We'd usually practice. We same thing, start out. They get a good look at the grass or the dirt um, or the turf, depending on when you're playing. I go to, go to the mound. We do our routine, but there's a lot of foundational stuff built so we can be that efficient too. So there's not a lot of a ton of talking at that time that's been done. I remember when I was at Xavier, the year that we did it, um, it was similar in the fact of how uh, dedicated like the, the staff definitely was to it. I mean, we did it. We practiced it. It felt 20 to 30 minutes every day. It felt, mm -hmm. I mean, they were, they were all in. So I, I definitely, definitely can agree that it, you know, you, you, it's something just like you said, it's like hitting, you have to do it every day to really get good at it yeah. unfortunately at that point in my career I mean I could barely walk right much less steal bases so it wasn't much value yeah. but um but they yeah, didn't it, need it you was. to do it is that's what I think it's like it's not even if you do that like again it's after finding the one more like they're just finding one more and I think when you look at it from that standpoint from coaching it can be very taxing like how am I going to get all of these guys good at doing it no you work with all these guys and then if I needed like if I thought you were close, I could pull you out of the group and make sure you get it. I always compare it to like if um if I'm trying to teach you a bunch of dogs to sit, like don't don't do it with 
20 dogs sitting there, pull one at a time, teach him to sit. And then at the end of it, you're going to say sit and all those dogs are going to sit. But if you try to keep teaching 20, you're never going to get one. And it's, it's the same thing. I think when they're look, I encourage guys when they work in those group settings and those group formats like that, those are great. And when, but once you start feeling people are close, get them out, teach them to sit, then get them back in the group. And then you can kind of pull more, more over there. That's good stuff. I like that. Earlier you were, you mentioned about uh, getting picked off and I'm curious as to when you're coaching at Wright state, what did you tell your guys like, Hey, if you get picked off, I'm not going to yell at you. Or if you get picked off, it, it's only under certain circumstances that it's okay. And then otherwise we're going to have to have a good talk. <laughs> I mean, I'd be interested to see if you'd ask those guys. Um, when I was first starting to do this, like, especially at Dayton, I was really like, don't like, you can't yell at them. Don't. And I think it's depends who's your, who's your head coach too. Like, and there's a lot of different head coach personnel. Like, I wonder what Guggins was like. I, well, he's one of my favorite people uh, in college baseball that I got to know outside of our own staff. And, um, you know, I wonder what his body language is like. I wonder what it's like to play for because playing, playing for is different uh, than getting to know him. And, like, every head coach I've worked for has been a little different. I've had the nicest guys, uh, the best guys, like, easiest to play for as far as personality their body language was brutal when somebody screwed up in situations where they wouldn't, and it wouldn't be yelling. It would just be like this feeling of like, uh, and that was like, you might as well yell at them. So yeah. I like, I encourage it. Like, be yourself um, in my opinion, but don't do anything just to make you feel better, which sometimes we do that as coaches. Like I yell at you right now because it helped me feel better, but it's not going to help you get a hit the next time. This helped me feel better. When I said, stop striking out, we needed you to put it in play. Like, you know, we needed to do that. What could I have done to make this effective? So at Wright State, I got to know those guys so well. Like, again, my role was just development, development, development. So, I, I mean, I was at the field forever with those guys. You know, we hit, um, you know, we hit a lot. We'd work together a lot. And, um, and you get relationships where you can be harder on some guys than on others. So it just depends who it is. For the most part, though, I would say it is a generally a good idea that when some when somebody screws up, you need, you know, especially at the beginning, there's a difference between messing up a rule, a foundational rule, because you just like don't care enough, and then getting out. Like there's two, those are two different things. So like, if you made a mistake that maybe you haven't made a bunch, and it's not because like you move too much, you know, you're you're better than what you're doing. It's it's okay to get. Um, get a little more frustrated. Um, but just to get mad because the guy got out is not fair. And a lot of guys do that. So if you're going to ask them to be aggressive, you need to be able to live with some of the downside. And if there's a lot of downside, that means your practice environment should have been better. So there's not a lot of downside. Like that, that goes in, you know, like educating the player too. Like this guy, like Max, Max Serger is works on holding runners at first a lot. You can't go out and just treat him with no respect. And like, just like be robots and try to move every pitch and guys will try to do that. So we, we have to proactively talk, not with the guys with the Yankees, but like at Wright state, if, if I was still there, I mean, looking at him, I would say like, okay, we're going to have to do this at first and we're going to have to do this when we get to second and this when we get to third and work on that. Um, 
but like if foundational stuff gets screwed up, that's when I'd make guys run like, like, or I do it to elevate the competition level. Maybe I wouldn't even be mad at them, but in a drill, I'd say, okay, if, if you get picked off here, you're going to have to run and things tend to clean up a lot. But I can remember specifically one of our best guys, um, he was, he's second in the rule, uh, the record book at Wright State, um, Zach Weatherford tried to steal third on the throwback from the catcher to the pitcher in like the seventh inning. Um, he stole like 35 bases to that point in that year. So it was like top two or three in the country at that point. Um, pitcher caught it, threw him out. It was a bad out. Like it was a bad out. And I can remember like our guys aren't like, our guys were pretty chirpy at Wright State. Like it was not an easy. It, it, like they're extremely competitive. It's extremely fun to be around them. But they're gonna they're gonna let them know a little bit, and I, they they definitely were. And I can remember after the game, being in the in the, the clubhouse and specifically saying, "Hey, listen, like Zach's the best. Like there doesn't get a better. Like you guys are lucky to be playing with this kid right now. He made one mistake. It doesn't happen again. I don't hear anybody complaining when he steals six bags in a game. Nobody's saying anything, right? And he's putting the team on his back." Aggressive guys make aggressive mistakes, you know, whatever, ending it in front of the whole team. That gets done. I get Zach on his own, and then we talk about it. Like, we're like, hey, that's a bad out. You can't make the third out at third in the situation. So there was a teaching point there. It was very important that um, we kept him going. Uh, confidence is a hard thing to build, and it's an easy thing to break. So, like, it's very important that – that's priority number one, you know, get the, get the setting that can develop a good base dealer and build that confidence. But once it's built the first time in front of the whole team, you say, Hey, you, you let us down. Like you've never been picked off. You've never got thrown out. Like if you don't know that, like if you don't know that feeling, it's a lonely place mentally, it's a lonely place. So it's, you know, you gotta be careful there. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of why I brought that up as I was just, curious as to um you know players don't want to feel embarrassed or feel humiliated and I think sometimes getting picked off I mean, will, will naturally they they feel that isolation a little bit more and so I was just I was just wondering if you, if you had found that there were uh, a decent amount of guys who were very hesitant um yeah. to buy in because the, of the of yeah. that fear of, of being oh humiliated. yeah that still takes time for sure yes 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 um at the beginning you've got you got to be patient with some, and you got to put them in situations where, like, you can handle this. Again, you're building confidence. And I don't know, maybe I answered your question wrong. I don't know if I've ever yelled at a player for screwing up in a game. Practice is when I'll get on them a little more, you know, for those mistakes. Uh, yes, definitely. So, like, in a game, I don't know. I, I would really have to think about it. Um, maybe, do you know, when I, I do get mad with people, when I tell them to go, so, like, I coached first, and I called the offense last year. So, like, my last year at Red State. So, I, probably the only – one of the only coaches to call a game at first base. But it allowed me to talk to the runner and allowed me to run the offense too. So, if, if I'd ever tell a guy, like, go on this pitch, he needs to go. Like, old school, get your lead off and run. And when they don't do that, then I get frustrated. It doesn't happen a lot, but, like, young guys that are kind of scared, they don't want to make an out. But I'm like, we're going because I know you're going to be safe here. If you get thrown out, you get thrown out. It doesn't matter. That's on me. But, like, 
if I ever tell you to go, I usually don't give a sign. Like I didn't give a sign all year, but if I like real late in your lead off, I say like, yeah, yeah, now. And you, you come back like, oh, I, I didn't hear you. Like you heard me and you're scared. <laughs> you know, that's when I get mad. And usually it takes me getting on them like once, one time, like, hey, listen, like if I tell you, like you need to go, um, they don't understand because like a lot of players, it takes a long time through their career before they watch the game like that to know to watch the pitcher, watch a catcher, watch the coaches, watch everything um, to where you have information. Like you said, you know, we talked about a little earlier, when you have information, you have to use it. You can't wonder if that information is going to be right or wrong. Cause then you're never going to have good information. So I, I try, uh, try to stay positive in games, except something like that situation. And then in practice, I'm the pressures turned up a little bit if they're good. <laughs> Matt, could you, up, I mean, could could you I I uh, I just kind of uh, remembered and realized you know I had a few people message me after I I've said that you know you're coming on the podcast mm-hmm. uh, about base running implementing base running at you know the high school levels and even one college coach who and they aren't familiar um, with the more the new school stuff just the old school stuff could you just maybe um, just give a, a summary of you know what like the the old school lead is and then yeah. what, we're, what you're kind of talking about and build at right right state of the yeah. new school hopping and go yeah so um easiest way to explain it is that um you know there's a lot of benefits from having a dynamic uh, an athletic movement uh to initiate a start right so pretty much if i'm stopped at a stoplight in a car nice car, fast car. I don't know cars, but a fast car, slow car comes up to that light um, and is slowing down. When that light turns green, the slow car can get the fast car off the line as long as he didn't come stopped, right? If they both stop, fast car gets them in, the fast car probably gets them in a little bit too, right? Uh, I don't know how how many feet that would be, but if you think about it, our race, um, stealing seconds, like 11 feet or 11 steps, 11 strides, maybe 12 strides, depending on your efficiency, your ability to accelerate. So we're not running that far of a race. And if you take out the dive, um, if you take out the dive and the lead off, you're looking somewhere around 20 yards. Like, can we be fast in 20 yards? So like a little head start is big. Like that's going to have big benefits. So like we do this in a few different ways, but like pretty much you you and we use everything that this doesn't mean like if you come to see us like if you come to see us at Wright State you'd see like there there are big games where you don't even notice anything You're like why did I drive all the way out here and then the next day you could see the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life like how these guys are crazy you got to go see them next guy goes goes to see us You're like I don't even notice anything well, you, you pretty much build this arsenal. This arsenal has weapons in there or tools. Let's call it a toolbox. It's got weapons for different scenarios. And then the pitcher will tell you which weapon to use. If you don't have that weapon personally, then you, you always know your old stuff, right? So I'm, I'm starting at that toolbox. I'm using the hammer, the easiest, simple weapon that doesn't need to – tool that doesn't need to be plugged in. And I'm using that whenever I can. And if I can't, I go down to the next tool to the next tool to the – fancy uh power tools you got to plug in right so like before it's like you you can either outrun the baseball or you can't so that's going to limit everybody on your team except the fast guys or let's say like a 3-1 count 
or a situation where you don't care if you're making it out here, you're going to just roll the dice and hope the catcher throws it high or something like that. Instead, it puts it in our hands and really puts emphasis on running on the pitcher. So if the pitcher doesn't have quick enough feet and a short arm to get it to first, that allows us to do a lot of things. And most guys, like, again, day one, you're going to try it and like, do exactly what it says in the book or whatever, and you'll be able to pick everybody off. Well, then over time, they learn to move safely and they learn to, um, you know, how their body works to move low, move balanced so they can go right and left. So we never leave our lead off until the pitcher lifts his leg. But that means we can, we can have a lead off that's moving. You know, our lead off, no, there's nothing in the rule book that says your rules or your, your lead off has to be still. So my, like my first time working on lead offs, I was uh, 13 years old and the local high school came out and taught us how to get a lead off. And until my junior year of college, nobody, nobody said anything different than what I was doing. Those local high school kids, who knows if any of them ever played after high school, not that you have to do that to be able to coach, but that's the information I had. And from that day, I learned don't move till the pitcher moved. And that was true. It's just simply not true. If you're reckless, you're going to get in trouble, you know, but you can move and not be reckless. I think I'm in the business of low risk, high reward. I'm not interested in high risk, high reward. I think at Wright State, when, last year we stole 100 and I forget, 70-some bags. Like, we stole a ton of bags last year, like maybe 82% successful as a team. So um, I, I don't think we were below 80%. It's been a couple of years since we've been below 80%, you know. And, you know, so, like, it's not a high risk. It's a high risk if you, if you kind of, like, half coach it or half do it or half commit to it. You said you guys at Xavier were committed to it. You know, I think uh, then the risk becomes much lower. But that's kind of – I don't know if I sum that up well enough or you can get the visual of what I'm talking about. But um, pretty much just being able to move and create some sort of momentum. I did not invent this. You know, and you know what? Good Runners have been using it for a long time. I've already named Mike, Mike Roberts, um, you know, the godfather of all of this stuff. And then, like, Ricky Henderson very rarely had still feet. Like, good base runners very rarely – they find ways to do it. We, we just define it and put it in a system. Say, look, you can practice this stuff that it took this guy 10 years in the major leagues to figure out. Or we can teach you when you're 18 – and you have time to fail in fall ball. So, yeah, you, you didn't, I mean, like you said, you didn't invent this stuff, but you're just, you're putting, you're giving it a name essentially. And, you know, I, I liked how you even brought up Ricky Henderson there who talk about, you know, the stolen base King and he was even, you know, constantly moving over there. So I just, I think it's, you should, you should be doing something, right? It just, it can't be yeah. just completely still and then go, and maybe, it, I mean, there are guys who do that, but, I mean, those are also freak athletes sometimes, and we're talking about Mike Trout and whatnot. How often do you still, like, study players stealing bases? Is it something you do on, like, day-to-day? Yeah, yeah, every day. Every Every day? day? All the time, time, yeah. Um, And Mike Trout would be awesome with this stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like – I think it's like, well, this guy throws 100 miles an hour. Like, does he need a change-up? Right. But he would be awesome with a change. Yeah. You know? Um, and I feel that way with everybody. It's like the the more options you have, the better you're going to be. Yeah. No, I I would say like before talking to you today, I was probably um 
I don't know, probably a few hours today watching different things, putting things together, defining different things. And I just save it and save it and save it. Like, I don't know if you can see this, but I've got hard drives here that I'm constantly taking, taking stuff and defining it and trying to make other people, maybe, maybe make other people, other players understand. Um, you do encouraging videos, you know, like, Hey, that's a good, keep it going, stuff like that. Um, and then you just watch to see what people do. You know, mainly it's, are you pick apart? Like there's some really good runners that steal bases. Um, there are some of the better base stealers in major leagues that aren't great runners. Like you can tell, like, you know, Dan Paff or somebody else, like, like Altus wouldn't, wouldn't be big fans of like how they run. So I do think there are improvements that can be made very easily because most of us through baseball, I don't know about you, but most of us through baseball have never really worked with somebody that knows running um, or sprinting. Uh, so I think just even things like that, finding good examples, like this guy moves well, maybe he made his big league debut for like a week and we, we've got one week of video of him doing something, but you try to try to define the good guys. It's helpful to teach. I'd also ima- imagine that even the guys at the highest level um, are pro- might actually be more open to change than um, than if we were talking about hitting, right? Because you know your swing is kind of like your baby. I, it it yeah. seems as if guys are a little bit more open to making changes in other areas of their game, considered versus just their swing. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It just depends. I, I believe if you can if you've got good feel as a coach and you can show a guy, you can help him. Um, and that's, that's hard. Like from a hitting perspective, it's really hard too. Cause like you never, you think you watch a guy and you're like, man, I could really help him, but you have to kind of wait for that window. Um, but really base running is the same way with those, the older guys, like, you know, you don't want to just come in day one and say, Hey, I'm Matt. Hey, do you ever think about moving your foot like this? Like, so, I mean, it just, takes time to throw things in there I get more excited about building from the ground and getting these younger guys especially some of our young guys in the DR that um, you know are very open like you tell them to get a lead off a certain way and like okay well I'll try that they don't know that this is unique they just think maybe they haven't been exposed to it as much so like I really like working with our staff down there and some of the younger guys in the GCL Um, but really like it grows so when somebody starts doing this stuff, even if you weren't in and you're around it every day and you're like, man, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And then all of a sudden he starts doing it and then it grows and grows and grows and gets rises to the top like that. And that's kind of been, it's kind of been the plan, but you know. What about uh, sliding into second base? I mean, you see guys doing it all sorts of ways, whether, you know, outside head first and then they're, you know, wrapping their, their left foot around the bag as they're sliding past it, um, you know, feet first because of injuries. What would you recommend for a, a high school or college coach out there for terms of stealing I, or sliding? I recommend big leaders have to stop sliding over the base. Like that's got to stop happening. I mean, if you watch, like it happens – way more than it should and before it didn't matter because like when brian roberts was playing like slide 101 the basic slide that i teach our guys is head first don't grab the bag unless his foot's in front of the bag we go over the bag we hook it with our back foot right but now with instant replay like if there's any part that comes off the bag you're out um so using the bag is critical now like you need to use a bag and then i think um, 
I think guys really hurt themselves sliding foot first, not physically hurt themselves. I think um, if you look at acceleration versus top end speed mechanics, our body stays at an angle, like roughly 45 up and down. Ricky Henderson will go from like a 45 up to like a 49 to 50 degree angle. And then when he starts to prepare to dive, he goes back low, lower than a 45, but he hovers around that mark. When we slide foot first, generally our body is telling us to do that. Like if you can remember playing, very rarely it was a lot of thought, like I'm going to dive head first. It's just like whatever your body's telling you, usually that's your posture. So your posture stands like this in top end speed, less ground contact time, more flight time. My, my spine is up, so my legs can cycle. And that's usually when guys want to slide foot first. So they take their head and they start going into top end so they can bring their feet under them. Um, I think when we slide, it should be hard. It should be head first. It should be because we're accelerating a long way, right? And I think there's a lot of things that we can do to pull us out of acceleration. You know, poor start. We don't know um, what, how we should start. We get in a bad stance. Um, and right away, it looks like our head goes down, but we didn't put a lot of force in the ground, so we didn't get a very good angle at the beginning. So instead of us slowly rising as we accelerate, which is natural, we skip some of these steps, and our body tells us to go foot first. Um, I think too much head movement. The eye is not looking at the right place. So if my eyes aren't looking down when I start, it's very easy. If I'm looking this way, it's very easy for our body to want to do this early. And then we slide foot first. So I think sliding is more than just sliding. And sliding is a tell for a lot of guys how well they accelerate. You know, again, if you watch Ricky Henderson, he accelerates a long time. Very rarely you see him slide foot first unless you know he's safe. Like he knows he's going to be safe. Um, and it's a powerful slide over the bag. And I think that's the guy to copy um, for sure. So like, I think, though, when it comes to approaching the bag, does that mean we can never use a wide slide? No, that means wide slides happen when the guy's got the ball, he's getting ready to tag you, and you're pulling out an emergency in an emergency situation. You never go outside in a non-emergency situation. You're straight as an arrow going right through the bag. If not, you give these times, you give a Javi Baez guy, type guy who's a great tagger the ability to let the ball travel and then drop it on you late um, versus going straight. I mean, if you watch enough video, you'll see a lot of guys that are safe and their slide made them out. Now the new one you see is guys going foot first and hitting the bag with their back leg, not the front leg. So the front leg will be above the bag, and they make contact with the back leg. Next time you see it, you're going to laugh. It's going to be all over the place. And I, it's like a cool thing, I think. You know, like that's how we slide, slide out instead of going straight into it. Or they'll go and make contact with their hand instead of their foot. So it's like this stuff, like the ball travels fast. That plus instant replay that matters. Like before you, it looked like you were at the bag. They challenge it. Infielder says, no, I got him. They challenge it. You realize, no, your foot was at the bag. Your hand wasn't yet. And they tagged you somewhere in between. So I think sliding, in my opinion, sliding really, really matters. It's something that if guys are really good accelerating, they should want to dive. We should use the base so we don't come across, come off it. And too many guys come off the base right now. I'm glad you, you cleared that up about the, about the sliding issue, just because I, you hear even when I'm watching games on TV of guys getting injured sliding head first. And so you'll hear announcers and analysts being like, that, and that's why you, you need to be sliding feet first because of the, the injuries. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you lot. brought that up. I feel like um, 
I'm not saying that's wrong. Guys do get hurt sliding head first, but they get hurt sliding foot first too. So um, I think there's there are ways to do it. And if you do it enough, you get better at it. I think you should wear protection on your hand. Like if, if you're going to slide you, and they offer, just like hitting, now guys have protection all over themselves. If, you know, Glaber got hurt the other night because he got hit, like that's such a big deal. If we can take that away by putting more padding on, let's do it. And I think the same thing with running, like wear an oven mitt, whatever you need to do. If you've had a previous injury, I think it's much different. You know, like if you've had an injury, you've got a messed up shoulder. Every time you dive, you run the risk of your shoulder popping out or something like that. Yeah, slide foot first and we'll, de- we'll deal with that. Just slide late. Like try to slide as late as you can so friction doesn't slow you down. We're going to run a long time to slide late, slide hard. Um, but other than that, if you're healthy and you're good at diving, you know, I, I, I encourage it. I don't make anybody do that, but I encourage it and I give them the reason why, you know. Gotcha. Matt, it's been awesome, man. Uh, been a lot of fun. Um, for those listening, head on over to Matt's website, stealingbases.com. Okay, we're going to make sure to put the link up in the show notes. Wait, wait. Steel bases. Steel steel bases. Steelbases.com. Steelbases. Bases. I don't know where that takes you. Uh, yeah, bases. so don't go to stealingbases. Steelbases.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. Don't listen to me, <laughs> listen to Matt. Um, so, again, Matt, really appreciate your time, man. Great stuff. I was on your website um, earlier today, steelbases.com. And you got some, you got some really cool stuff on there. I got to make sure to check out your book. I'm going to grab that. Um, but again, man, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I, you know, I, I really appreciate it. I listen to your podcast. I, I know some of the guests you've had on, so I appreciate it. Hopefully some of this stuff made sense. A lot of times it's hard just talking about it, have a listener imagine what we're doing. So if I can help anybody, um, go to, go to the website, there's a contact tab. You can always shoot me a message through there, but, um, yeah, yeah. I love this stuff. And I think, um, I think anybody can do it. And I think as long as you're willing to put it in the work, um, I think it never graduates. It just keeps growing. Hitting will graduate, especially your high school coach. That comes and goes. Um, but scoring runs doesn't necessarily have to. In fact, when we started doing this, that was one of the reasons we needed it. We didn't know if we were going to score runs. So um, trying to move up 90 feet without giving up outs became huge. So like, I think you can do it. If you got questions, please reach out. But again, thanks for the opportunity. Nice to finally meet you too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.